Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Well, this Sunday, the Eagles have a big first-place showdown with the New York Giants, even though both these teams have losing records, and even though the NFC East will probably go down in history as the worst division in football lore... This game actually does have big postseason implications for both the Eagles and the Giants. So we're going to break it all down with Ed Valentine, uh, the head site manager for the SB Nation Giants site, Big Blue View. We're going, to, we're going to break down some of the X's and O's and some of the big storylines ahead of this Sunday's game between the Eagles and Giants. But I want to remind you guys to make sure you check out BleedingGreenNation.com every single day for all the latest news and notes on your favorite football team as they get ready for a big matchup here on on Sunday. And joining us to talk a little bit about this game coming up here on Sunday, a battle for first place in the in the always tough NFC East is Ed Valentine, the site manager and producer for the Giants SB Nation site Big Blue View. You can follow Ed and the team's uh, website at Big Blue View. Ed, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, John. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and this is the second time this year. We didn't get a chance to do it last time around because it was a Thursday night game, so uh, schedules were a little bit crunched, but with a little bit more time this week, I'm looking forward to, to diving in here on round two between the Eagles and the Giants. And, you know, go, looking back at a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like the Giants had that game in hand a couple of different times. Uh, if not for an Evan Engram drop at the end of the game, the Giants probably do win that matchup. How tough was the Thursday night matchup a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia for Giants fans? Oh, that, that was definitely a, a hard pill to swallow because, you know, the Giants, the Giants had that game in hand mm-hmm. without, the, without the Engram mistake and, you know, a couple of, of defensive mistakes down the stretch. Um, you know, that was, like a lot of Giants games have been this year, right there to be won. Mm. And the Giants have got to – they simply have to get to the point where they execute down the stretch and, and win some of those games. No doubt about it. And you mentioned it. They've played a ton of close games this year. And, and everything we hear, though, is that, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're a rebuilding team, you're not going to just automatically flip the switch most times and win. You don't automatically, you know, those Kurt Warner Rams of, of 99, you know, that, those kinds of turnarounds don't happen all that often in, in one season. So it's a slow build. And, and everything you're hearing is that it sounds like the Giants are – on that slow build. The record isn't very good, but they've played a ton of close games. It seems as though the team is probably better than their record says. Does the narrative kind of match that reality? I believe that it does. You know, the, the, the problem, Joe Judge talks every single week, and every single week he talks about seeing progress mm-hmm. and feeling like the Giants are getting better. And when you watch them play, you can see signs of it. You can understand the argument. But, you know, from the outside, you know, the, the media narrative and, and the fan narrative is, look, you're still two and seven. In, in the last two years, basically, the only team that you've beaten is Washington, which I think the Giants have beaten Washington five times in a row. Okay. And you can make the argument that Daniel Jones is getting better and you can clearly see that the defense is better this year. And you can clearly see the last few weeks that the, that the offensive line has gotten better and that they're starting to identify some players they want to go forward with. But 
if you want to prove, if you really want to put tangible evidence of, of getting better down on paper, you've got to beat the Eagles once in a while, and you've got to beat the Cowboys once in a while. The Giants have lost 15 straight games to those two teams. And, and they're just not going to – all of those improvement arguments are just not going to be credible until they beat those two teams on occasion. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, they, ob- they obviously uh, need, need to figure out a way to, to beat the Eagles and the Cowboys. And, and just looking at this matchup between these two teams over the years, the Eagles have won uh, specifically just with these two teams, eight straight games uh, over the Giants. The, the Eagles have won 12 of the last 13 meetings and 16 of the last 20. So clearly the Eagles have had their number here uh, over these last few seasons. But you, you talked about Joe Judge and you talked about Daniel Jones. Those are two guys I really want to kind of dive into here. And I want to start off with the quarterback because with every team it starts and it starts and ends with the quarterback most of the time and Daniel Jones you know there was a lot of talk about Carson Wentz versus Dak Prescott when those two guys were were coming up in their first couple of seasons and it's still out there it's obviously died down a bit with Dak's injury and Carson's struggles but we never really had a Dwayne Haskins versus Daniel Jones argument because neither of those guys really kind of established themselves although you know Dwayne Haskins is definitely on the outs in Washington whereas Daniel Jones is still at least from my perspective, the team's franchise quarterback, although with all of the turnovers and the uneven play, he's shown flashes, he, he, but he's kind of been a turnover machine for the Giants his first two seasons. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Daniel Jones is the long-term answer at quarterback for New York? Oh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably maybe in the 6 range. Okay. Here's the, here's the thing. I think – the Giants really want him to succeed, okay? The, the reality of it is the Giants, as the, they're two and seven, the Jets aren't winning two games this year, period. Mm-hmm. They're not winning two games. No. I don't care. You know, you could put the local high school varsity out there, and I don't <laughs> think the Jets are winning twice in the no. last seven games. I don't care. No, they'll do everything they can to make sure they don't win two games. Absolutely. So, so the Jets are drafting Trevor Lawrence. The Giants have no shot at Trevor Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And, And my, my thing is the Giants are in a situation where, you know, I, I haven't in depth studied Justin Fields or Trey Lance, you know, the, the two guys that are considered the other top two quarterbacks, but I don't think you can prove to me, I don't think anyone can make an ironclad argument that either of those guys is going to be a better NFL quarterback than Daniel Jones. Mm. So the issue for the giants is do you spin that wheel or do you just continue to work with Daniel Jones, try to add pieces around him and continue trying to build this thing And Daniel Jones, I mean, there are times he shows so many good things, so many good throws. He shows so much toughness in the pocket. He shows ability to move and make plays with his legs and and, and to run the the zone read kind of stuff, you know, when he can manage to stay on his feet. (laughs) But, 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 you know, that, that particular play when he fell. Yeah is sort of a microcosm it's a perfect (laughs) it's a perfect way to describe you know a lot of the things about daniel jones so many good things and yet that last little bit to get over the hump just hasn't been there Mm. and 
and that's the frustrating part. And I, I have to laugh, and I know I'm going on here a little bit. Yeah. Daniel Jones played not a perfect game on Sunday against Washington, but he played his first turnover-free game mm-hmm. of the season, okay? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he had one ball punched out as he was going out of bounds, which was considered a fumble even though it was going out of bounds. And, you know, he had another ball that he dropped and picked up, you know, which was considered a fumble. But he didn't throw any interceptions. He didn't throw any dangerous passes. He didn't turn the ball over. He threw some balls away under duress, which has been an issue. He showed progress. He played a clean game. And the narrative here among Giants beat writers, the question Joe Judge and Daniel Jones have been getting asked all week is, why weren't you more aggressive? <laughs> it's like, come on, you people. What are, we ta- what are we talking about? You just played a clean game that you won because you got five turnovers and you didn't, and you didn't have any. Mm. So what, what do you want from the guy? You know, it, it, you've got to play clean games and go from there. Yeah, walk before you can run kind of a thing. And it seems as right. though, and, and again, it was encapsulated in that play that he was, he was running faster than he could actually maintain and get, got ahead of himself and fell down. And that seems to be what happens. Honest, honest to God, that was, I mean, that was hilarious. And I enjoyed the fact that even his teammates on the sidelines were laughing at him. Yeah. When you watch that play, you can, you know, it's, you, you can see he gets to about the Eagles 40 yard line and you can see, you know, he's like a car that was leaking oil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it was like, I, is he going to get there? <laughs> I pinpointed a screenshot where you can see the exact moment his legs decided, nope, nope, not going. Yeah, you, I, everybody said yep. he tripped. He didn't trip. His legs just gave out on him. Like yeah. it was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was like, like but tired. you could see at about the 40 yeah. yard line. You could just see yep. that, that, Things were starting to break down. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Absolutely. It's so funny, but um, it'll be a me and they can laugh about it because they scored a touchdown on the drive. But, so, but you um, know, to, 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 to wrap Daniel Jones up though, it's, I think in the end, I think Daniel Jones is still the giants quarterback next year. Beyond that, I, beyond that, I don't know, but I mm-hmm. think, I don't know with where their draft position is going to be. You know, they certainly aren't going to be able to, to, to put together a package of picks and go get Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that you can prove that anyone else in the draft is actually going to be better than Jones. Yeah. So I, I think they just have to look at the positive things and keep building and keep coaching and, and, and see where it goes. Let's talk about Joe Judge a little bit now, because I think uh, in the offseason, there was some concern about how well the Giants would be able to mesh because they didn't have the OTAs. They didn't have the, the normal lead up. They didn't have a, a, you know, the preseason games that you would hope to have when you have a new coach who's going to be uh, putting a new system together. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk also in the preseason about some of the stuff Joe Judge was doing. Where he's, you know, some of the real, you know, hardcore, like high school type stuff that you would see, you know, um, that maybe if it, if it didn't win some games, players might bristle at some of his kind of old school tactics. But it sounds as though he's really got this team playing hard. It sounds as though he's really got this team playing well. And I know Judge is always going to be linked to Matt Rule of the Panthers because the Giants were close to, we're we're certainly in the mix to hire Matt Rule at at one point uh, during the offseason. And obviously that all went in a different direction. So there's probably going to be a little bit of a grass is always greener looking at what Rule's doing with the Panthers and seeing the improvements there. But how is Joe Judge, um, 
how, how has he done getting this Giants team to play hard every week? Because by, by all accounts, they are playing hard every single week for him. They are playing hard every single week. And, and I think it's funny. The last time we talked to Dave Gettleman, Giants GM, before the season, he referred to this team. He said, they're going to be the fighting Joe Judges, <laughs> which, you know, that sounds like a high school thing. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but the thing that Judge has done, he's done some, some stuff like making guys run laps that, that drew, you know, drew some, some criticism from former players and all of that. And he, he's run, you know, in training camp, he ran some physical practices and did some live tackling that you don't see a whole lot in the NFL anymore. But the thing that he has said consistently, and I think you see show up, the thing that he has said, first of all, he said, I'm just trying to teach these guys and make them understand that there are consequences for mistakes. Mm. And the other thing that he said is nothing that's being done from the laps to to any of the other you know things that he's done the reasons for all of those things it's not just like it's not like he's just saying because i said so yeah he he's been clear that he has explained to players the reason for all of the things that he's done and i think that's part of why he's getting buy-in it's part of why he's getting effort it's it's crystal clear that this team and this coaching staff that Joe judge has put together, it's crystal clear that this group is far superior to the, to the coaching staff that the giants had the last two years. Hmm. Well, I'm sure that's encouraging for giants fans and it's not exactly what I want to hear, but uh, good for the giants because they absolutely needed some, some competency uh, in the head coaching spot and the rest of the coaching staff. Um, he did call the Eagles an explosive team this week, which I found interesting. Uh, as someone who's watched Eagles football all season, I can assure you they have not been explosive, but more implosive uh, so far this <laughs> season. So, well, but, but I mean, they are, they're getting healthier. And I think that's a big thing here as we look, to, as we look forward to this game on Sunday. The Giants are going to be facing an Eagles team that I think is healthier than they have been even since week one. They, they, came, into the, they came into week one with a, a number of significant injuries. And so how, what concern level is there uh, on, for the Giants and for the Gi- and for Giants fans that you, you're looking at an Eagles team that may be the, you know, coming off the bye week, may be playing or the healthiest it's been since the season began? Well, that is obviously a concern because we don't know exactly what we're going to see. I mean, it can take some time when you get new, all these new pieces back. It can take, take a little bit of time for, for everything to come together again. But the Eagles will have a much fuller roster you know, than, they, than they had a few weeks ago. You know, the thing about the, the judge comments that you mentioned if you read these transcripts or listen to these interviews every Wednesday, you know, from, from NFL head coaches, the, the opponent that they're playing that week, no matter who it is, is the best NFL team that's ever been assembled. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. It's the best NFL team that's ever been assembled with, with, with just a, a mountain of weapons that, you know, that we, we have no chance to stop these guys. And, you know, that, that's just how NFL coaches sell it every single week. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, Joe Judge is certainly going to feed into that narrative. I get it. And so it's, and, you know, the Eagles could be more explosive. Jalen Rager and, and Travis Fulgham now, uh, hopefully providing some, some power, some uh, dynamicism on offense. We might even see Alshon Jeffrey on the field, Greg Ward, some, some of those guys. And so, and of course, the explosive Boston Scott. How do you stop Boston Scott, Ed? I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, <laughs> Miles Sanders will probably be back this week, and I would expect a heavy dose of him, but. Boston Scott has to be the guy that Giants fans have nightmares of. Well, you know, I, I wrote this week, and it's sort of a just, just, just a funny way of putting it, but I wrote that those of us here in New York now have a new reason to hate Boston. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. <laughs> Now, obviously, we can't. We're 15 minutes into our chat here, or 20 minutes into our chat here, and we haven't really mentioned Carson Wentz at all. And one of the, I ask everybody who I talk to on Eye on the Enemy every week for their opinion on what's going on with Carson Wentz, because we're inside the Eagles' fishbowl, and you know, there's all kinds of uh, theories that we have as far as you know what's happened to Carson Wentz. I don't know if you read Shiel Kapati in the Athletic, uh, former Eagles beat writer, and how he writes nationally for for the Athletic, but he had a great deep dive into what's going on with Carson Wentz that I would recommend if. You're interested, um, but uh, basically, so much is going wrong with Carson Wentz right now that it's really hard to put your finger on any one thing. As you sit and you look at this Eagles team and you see Carson Wentz, where are you on Wentz here in 2020? I don't understand a lot of what I'm seeing, to be honest with you. I don't understand a lot of the of the the decision making and some of the you know some of the times when he won't just eat the ball or throw the ball away or, or things like that. But, but here's what I do know from, from having watched Eli Manning over the years. All right. There are, and, and, you know, there were times in Eli Manning's career when he was a turnover machine. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know you can right now you can make the Daniel Jones comparison. And, And what I always saw from Eli Manning was when he, he was such a competitor. There were times when he would just say the heck with it. Mm-hmm. I know this is a bad play to make, but we're already behind by two scores. You know, I'm going to throw the ball there anyway. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't make any difference at this point, if it gets picked off or if something bad happens, because we're already not winning this game. Right. Unless, unless we do something dramatic. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering, especially this year when you watch Carson Wentz, if there's so many injuries around him and so many other things that, that have gone wrong, that, that he's just sitting there thinking, I have to do more to mm-hmm. try to lift this team. I have to try to make plays and take risks to try to lift this team and and when you do those things bad things happen more often than good things happen yeah no that's totally fair I think that's absolutely some of what we're seeing is him trying to force the action force the issue and I think there's a fair amount of frustration 
um, with coaching staff and, and a lack of identity with this offense. I don't think the Eagles offense and the play callers know exactly what they want this team to be right now. And there's, so there's no cohesion. You know, I think when Doug Peterson and, and Frank Reich were together, they were just in lockstep as far as knowing what they wanted to do. And it was such a good match. Doug has had a hard time finding uh, another set of partners, another set of coaches that allow for that cohesion to, to take place. And so I, I think that also affects Carson. And we can't forget too, Carson had a catastrophic knee injury in 2017. He just doesn't look physically like he's the same guy in the pocket at this point. You know, I think that's, I think that's lost on a lot of people. We talk about a lot of different things. I don't think Carson is physically the same player that he was a few years ago that that could be as well you forget about those things you know when you see a guy out there you just assume that he's that he's ready to go and you know whether that's an emotional scar or whether physically he doesn't move quite as well as he used to I don't really know but but those things you know those things definitely could be factors all right last thing here um let's just talk about the game is there a uh, what's a what's one key matchup that you're keeping an eye on here on on Sunday there are obviously many we could choose from but what's one key matchup that that you think could help determine this game well for me it's not necessarily a one-on-one matchup for me the biggest difference in the New York Giants from from the last time they played the the Eagles is that the offensive line of the Giants has improved by leaps and bounds. Andrew Thomas is playing much better. Nick Gates has really settled in at center. Um, you know they're getting good play across the board on their offensive line. So for me, the big matchup. I mean, we know how good that Eagles front seven is on defense. Mm-hmm. For me, the big matchup is right there. Is can the Giants control the line of scrimmage? Can they control that front? Can they give Daniel Jones time to operate? They've the Giants have run the ball pretty well the last couple of weeks, you know, even without Saquon Barkley, you know, out for the season, you know, with Wayne Goldman and 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 having picked up Alfred Morris off the NFL scrap heap, believe yeah. it or not, yeah, they, they've run the ball pretty well. Can they continue to do those things, or are we going to see the the horrible offensive line play from the Giants that we saw the first four or five games of the season? I think that's that's a big big thing to watch for me. Ed, who's going to win? I, I know it's the homer pick, John. I know it's the homer <laughs> pick, but I'm going with the Giants simply because I feel good about the trend line with the Giants. I feel good about about what we've seen. I do believe that that we're seeing improved play week to week from the Giants. They believe in what they're doing. When you talk to these players over the last week to 10 days, this doesn't sound like a two and seven team. It doesn't feel like a two and seven team. It it sounds and feels like a team that believes it's going in the right direction, that believes that that things are pointed, you know, are pointed upward. And I think, you know, after after eight straight losses to the Eagles, after some inexplicable losses on sixty some odd yard field goals and and, and dropped passes placed right in receivers hands and, and other, you know, inexplicable things that, that, that have happened that I don't even want to think about. (laughs) I, I just, I just, I think it's time for the giants to win one of these games. Yeah. 
you would you would think that they're due by this point. So I, I I hear what you're saying. I'm not picking I'm not picking the Giants to win this time around. I'm kind of a guy I want to see it happen before I I pick or I don't want to see it happen. But how many I need... games? By the way, how many games is the winner of the NFC East going to win this year? Is the winner of the NFC East going to win more than six games? You know, I I I feel more optimistic about the Eagles' second half than I think most people do, only because I I see this team getting healthier, and I think. I know that Carson Wentz isn't as bad as he's played. And the only reason why their, their record is what it is is because Carson Wentz has played as badly as he has. I think we're going to see a better Carson Wentz in the second half. I don't know if he's going to you know, get to the level that he was. I, he probably will not get to the level he ever was in 2017. But I think we could see late 2019 Carson Wentz for the rest of the year. And I think if they can stay healthy, I think this Eagles team can go 8-7-1. and one. I think they can win eight games. I think they probably only need to win seven in order to win the East. And it you know, might be six if they manage to beat the Giants uh, on Sunday. but I mean, I, I think I would agree that if there's a team in this division that's going to get to eight wins, it's going to be the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, And, I, and I, think, I think Sunday tells us a lot. I, I think you're exactly right. Sunday will tell us a lot. This is, on paper, the Eagles are a more talented team if everybody's healthy. This should be a game the Eagles win. But like you said, you know, the Giants at home, eight-game losing streak, you know, this there there is some of that – thought that they're due to win a game like this and so i just i just feel like i just feel like like they've been trending in the right direction and and after after so many times with the eagles and and with the cowboys i feel like they're they're due to catch a break and win at the end of one of these games I, I can't dispute that. We'll see what happens on Sunday when the Eagles take on the Giants up in New York. Folks, make sure you are checking out Big Blue View every single day to get what's going on. with. Uh, we'll keep an eye on the enemy uh, with the Giants and uh, make sure that you are following uh, at Big Blue View on Twitter. Ed Valentine's stuff. Make sure you're reading him every single day over at Big Blue View. Ed, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, when we come back, I'm going to give you my five keys to the Eagles having second-half success here in 2020. We'll do that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So on a, in a piece I wrote for Bleeding Green Nation this week, I wrote about five keys to the Eagles having second-half success here in the second half of 2020. And 
the thing is, I think we all believe that the Eagles have the best chance of of winning this division and making and reaching the postseason and getting that number four seed and getting a home playoff game. I think if you look at the rosters, you can look at the Eagles and you, you but you could say looking at the Giants and Washington football team and Dallas Cowboys that the Eagles are better than those three teams. That being said, no one is expecting much from this Eagles team here in the second half, and everyone is expecting the Eagles to back in to an NFC East crown. And given what we've seen from this team over the first half of the season, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm not going to dispute you on that. You have every right to think that because this team has given you no reason and no indication to believe in them, to believe that a second half surge is coming. But like I mentioned on the podcast last week, I do believe a second half surge is coming. I believe this team will finish with a winning record by season's end. They're only they're one game under 500 right now at 3-4-1. They're getting healthier at the right time, and I think this is a team that will play better here in the second half. But I think there are five keys to all of that happening. And so uh, to finish off the podcast here, I'm going to run down these five keys for the Eagles having second-half success. And the first one, of course, it's with it's, it's all surrounding the quarterback. Carson Wentz has to stop playing like Jameis Winston. If you didn't read the piece that I mentioned to Ed Valentine that Shiel Kapadia did uh, in The Athletic about what's gone wrong with Carson Wentz since 2017, it's a litany of issues. Read Shiel's entire piece to get the skinny, but in short, Wentz has struggled with pressure, with accuracy, with mobility in the pocket, and confidence. Other than that, he's been awesome. <laughs> it's, but that's the, those are the things that have been going wrong, and, and of course, Shiel takes a deeper dive into it, and it, it's really good, but... There are some other things going on here. The offensive line has, of course, been in flux this year. But overall, when you break down the numbers, the offensive line has actually been okay. They've been better than average. So you can't really blame the offensive line for much of Wentz's struggles this year. Sure, there have been games and there have been times when Wentz has been running for his life, but it's not as if the Eagles' offense, despite all the injuries, have been a disaster because Jordan Mailata and Jack Driscoll specifically have done much better than anyone expected. The running game has come and gone and has mostly been missing, with injuries to Miles Sanders taking some of the explosiveness out of the backfield. And Carson's, as we, as we know, has had a rotating cast of skill position players, and I really believe the coaching staff has not helped him get into any kind of rhythm. I know a lot of the conversation this week was... Brett Favre's comments about the, the Eagles should have uh, kept Nick Foles over Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson in that Zoom news conference having to be asked three times if he agrees or disagrees with Favre's comments. And finally, on the third go around, he managed to support his quarterback. And much of the conversation this week has been, has Doug Peterson lost confidence in Carson Wentz? I think it's a fair question. Carson Wentz is in his fifth year. He should be playing better than this. He's clearly not playing at a level to which anyone expects him to play. It's clear his confidence is not what it used to be. It's clear there are some physical things going on. And as I mentioned to Ed, we don't think about the injury and how that's affected him here in year number five. It's, I think it's still a, I think it's still an issue. And I have talked to you guys on a number of occasions about the mental spiders in Carson Wentz's head from from having a Super Bowl run ripped away from him and not being able to go and do that and for the team falling in love with Nick Foles and the Nick Foles shrine and then coming back and, and you know getting blindsided in the Seattle playoff game last year after finally making the postseason. Carson Wentz's mind has to be a mess and he's looked lost as a result. But So you can say, yes, Doug Peterson may have a reason to not be sure if he trusts Carson Wentz at this point. But I will also ask the question, 
is are there reasons Carson Wentz shouldn't trust Doug Peterson at this point? What has Doug Peterson and this offensive coaching staff done to help Carson Wentz succeed? Bringing Rich Scangarello in here and all the other offensive minds, they have not been able to put game plans together for Carson Wentz that has made any sense, that has given this team any kind of an identity. Now, is that because they don't trust Wentz? Is that because they don't know what kind of plays to call for him because he's so inconsistent? That's possible. But you also look at this team and you see it's a team without an identity. You see that this is a team that does not have a lot of cohesion in the play calling. And I think that is part of the reason why Carson Wentz does not have confidence. I don't think he knows what the coaching staff wants from him. I don't think this team knows what they want to be at least not through the first half. And so that's why I'm hoping this bye week cures some of those ills that they can figure out some kind of game plan. Go back in time. Let's look back in time and see, like you did with Nick Foles in the 2017 season when Foles struggled when he first took over for Wentz. Go back and look and see what made made Foles successful. Go back and look and see what made Wentz successful. Go back and look. Maybe that's one of the things they've done during the bye week. But it's clear that Carson is turning the ball over way too much, making poor decisions, and that he doesn't trust what he sees. He plays hero ball and forces the issue when he shouldn't, and then doesn't see the big throws when they're there to be made. But then in the fourth quarter, he will usually take his team down on a game-winning drive and end up pulling the game out. And that's what we've seen from Carson this year. He must be better if this team is going to go on a legitimate second-half run because there is a good quarterback beneath this crust of mediocrity that he's worn this year. So hopefully the bye week allowed Wentz to shed that crust and the offensive staff can come together on a game plan that will utilize his skills to the best of his ability because if Carson Wentz is out there playing like Jameis Winston, they are going to back into an NFC, NFC East title and maybe even not make the playoffs altogether. The second key for second-half success, better injury luck. And it finally appears, finally, as if the Eagles are getting healthier. Alshon Jeffrey appears ready to grace the team with his presence this week. And I've been hard on Alshon Jeffrey because I don't think he's really wanted to get back on the field. But Jalen Rager has specifically mentioned how helpful he's been off the field and in the meeting room. So I'll give Alshon Jeffrey his props if that is indeed the case. But Dallas Goddard's going to be back. Miles Sanders is going to be back. Isaac Sayamalu. Lane Johnson looks like he's going to give it a go with a knee brace, but he might be out this week. Jason Peters will be out there. Jack Driscoll, Craig James will all be on the field too. For once, the Eagles appear to be winning the injury battle, which can only help them here over the second half of the season. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to get another run of catastrophic injuries. Of course, we know that this is the Eagles. That probably will happen, but for right now, the Eagles are getting healthier. If they can avoid the injury bug in the second half, they actually have a decent roster if they're able to stay healthy, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Fulgham, Rager, Sanders, and Goddard are the third key to second half success. Seriously, enough with the 12 personnel. The Eagles are bad at it now. They were good at it for a little while. No more 12 personnel. Let's get these receivers and let's let's get them involved. Let's get let Fulgham, Rager, and Goddard eat here. Keeping Miles Sanders on the field will be a big deal too. I think the Eagles would do well to commit to the run a bit more than they have in the first half, especially against defenses that are known to be weak against the run. I and Travis Fulgham, you've you've just lucked into a number one wide receiver. It's amazing how a competent Travis Fulgham looks. Jalen Rager has all the potential in the world. And in Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard, you have two guys who are known producers. These are four young, potentially dynamic options for Wentz to utilize. This is, 
He honestly has more talent right now heading into this game against the Giants than he had over the final month of the 2019 season and maybe during the 2018 season as well. The coaching staff's primary responsibility has to be to protect Wentz and find a way for those four players, Fulgham, Rager, Sanders, and Goddard, to touch the ball as much as humanly possible. The fourth key to second-half success is the fact that there really is no juggernaut in the NFC. Is there an NFC team that truly scares you? The Green Bay Packers of Aaron Rodgers, and they have looked very good at times, but they're horrific against the run. They have a huge Achilles heel. The New Orleans Saints had a big game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week, but Drew Brees has been up and down this season. The Seattle Seahawks of Russell Wilson, he's always dangerous, of course, but their defense is incredibly porous. And again, the Buccaneers just got destroyed by the Saints. The Rams... Do they terrify you? I know they came into Philadelphia and beat the Eagles pretty well, but I'm not terrified of the Rams and Jared Goff. Are you terrified of the 49ers right now? Do the Cardinals, Bears, or Vikings scare you? Of course not. Every NFC team has a fatal flaw. And the Eagles might be on the upswing. There is no Chiefs, there is no Ravens, there is no Steelers in the NFC. So again, if Wentz can rediscover some of his late-season mojo and play like a top-10 quarterback again, there is no reason the Eagles couldn't go anywhere this fall and beat any NFC opponent in the postseason. And finally, the fifth key to the Eagles having a successful second half, the defensive line has to continue to eat. The Eagles have one above average player in the secondary in Darius Slay. All right, their linebacking core, even with the emergence of TJ Edwards as a competent run stopper and blitzer, is a huge weakness. The biggest area of strength is the defensive line which has been one of the best units in the NFL this year. They're averaging three and a half sacks a game, the Eagles are, second only to Pittsburgh. Now, that's just not defensive line. That's the entire team. But Brandon Graham is having a career year with seven and a half sacks through eight games, on pace for his first double-digit sack season. Derek Barnett is three and a half. Josh Sweat looked great early in the season. He's piled up three. You're You're seeing some signs of life from Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson. They've been pretty good in the middle of the line, forcing pressure, stopping the run. You'd like to get more out of Javon Hargraves. Perhaps he'll provide some production in the second half, too. I think Jim Schwartz should blitz a little bit more to mix things up here in the second half. Uh, Certainly, there will be third and longs where the defense makes you want to dunk your head in a vat of hydrochloric acid. But if the D-line continues to play well, it should be enough for the Eagles to keep teams out of the end zone and give the struggling offense a chance over these last eight games. So... There is enough talent on this team to win the division. If Wentz figures things out, could the Eagles actually become good in the second half, at least good enough to win a game or two in the postseason? The schedule in the second half is not easy, but it's not unreasonable. Here's how I see it breaking down. And I believe I might have mentioned this on on last week's Eye on the Enemy, but it's worth repeating. I see them winning against the Giants here this weekend to move to 4-4-1. I see them beating the Browns in Cleveland at 5-4-1. Then I see them losing to the Seahawks at home to fall to 5-5-1. I see them losing in Green Bay to the Packers at 5-6-1. I see them winning against the Saints at home to move to 6-6-1, losing at the Cardinals to fall to 6-7-1, then winning at Dallas to go to 7-7-1, and then winning the final game of the season at home against the WFT to go 8-7-1 here on the season. I think asking the Eagles to go 2-3 against the Browns, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and Cardinals isn't too much to ask in order to secure a winning record, and I really do think the Eagles have a solid chance to do that. And if they do go to the postseason, I do think they have a chance to win a home playoff game because none of of the teams in the NFC scare me. And this this Eagles team does have the possibility of actually playing well in the last eight games if they meet, if all of the five keys I just mentioned 
managed to come to fruition. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Ed Valentine once again from Big Blue View for coming on and uh, giving us an inside look on what's going on in Giants World. And uh, folks, don't forget to leave a five-star rating for the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you tell your friends about it. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're everywhere that you can find podcasts. And uh, again, leave a review at the Apple Podcast feed if you wouldn't mind. Let us know what you think of the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I will talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. G and